Okay, I'm Catherine Margaret Chewy. I'm the publisher of Camera Press, and I thought I'd start this launch and Q&A by reading a small section of my introduction and introducing Maggie and <laughs> thanking everyone who should be thanked. <laughs> and um, so I'll start now. In November 2016, KMR Press released Jennifer Maiden's 21st poetry collection, The Metronome. Since that time, she has written two vibrant novels in juxtaposed prose and verse, Play With Knives 3 and 4, and this major new poetry collection focusing on poverty, power, and the ways in which they are interconnected and intrinsic to each other. The theme of Appalachian Fall, Poems About Poverty and Power, was inspired partly by the situation in last year's American presidential campaign, in which President Trump's victory was dependent on voters from impoverished and threatened regions, such as Appalachia. The fall in the title, The American Autumn Season, is a metaphoric setting surrounding these poems. Here, fall can also be a technical fall, a drop in poll numbers, a spiritual decline, or a dancer leaping from a part of day. In analyzing the important as aspects of power, Maiden recommends the equal perspective allowed by poetry. While writing this collection, she was able to clarify her position. The difference between what I do and other things called political poetry or satire is that they consist of commentary or caricature, both of which place the writer in a superior or inferior position. My work is imaginatively empathetic from an equal basis in which more fluid and eternal position politically and therefore much more reactionary. It isn't a traditional Marxist philosophy that discounts the individual in favour of historical events. It's more like H.E.P. Taylor's belief that history depends on the peculiar traits of individuals. Hence his interpolation that, of course, in politics, the impossible always happens. And that was quoting Jennifer Maiden at that point, about H.E.P. Taylor. In light of Jennifer Maiden's hierarchical theory, this equality in poetry could balance some effects of trauma. Here, for example, she also uses poetry's equal position to address a recent traumatic professional um, the destabilization of her own. Her hierarchical theory is that trauma in the power structure results in a sufferer moving up and down precariously in the power structure. Something central to the issues of poverty, power, dissimilarity, and polarity. These poems in this collection act as a platform between the heights and depths of hierarchy, letting the reader, poet, and characters look power in the eyes with a level gaze. And I would like to thank McLean's for hosting this event. Maggie, a vibrant and accomplished critic and uh, critic and writer, for sharing this event and my mother for writing the collection, <laughs> um, for allowing me to kickstart my press with her work, and for writing poetry which has led Professor Robin, Robert Adamson to call her the great poet of our humanity. Uh, now I will hand the mic over to Magdalena and Jennifer Maiden. Thank you. Thank you. So we're, we're a relatively small group, um, so please do feel free to treat this in a very relaxed and intimate manner. Um, I'm sitting up in this chair so I can actually look down, fall on some people instead <laughs> of looking up. Um, I, I, it's so exciting um, to have a poet of Jennifer Maiden's caliber and experience here in Newcastle, um, to be able to actually launch a book of her poetry here in Newcastle, and uh, I'm just thrilled to have her here. Jennifer and I have spoken, we've, I've interviewed her before, we've spoken on the phone before, um, but this is the first face-to-face, -face, so that's really exciting for me. Um, and, you know, I think great for Newcastle to, again, to have a poet like Jennifer. So, um, welcome. 
What I thought I'd do is I'll just, we just do a bit of a Q&A. Um, I'll ask Jennifer some questions mm -hmm. and we'll just have basically a chat. And then I think I'll just open the floor and you can ask all your questions, anything you want. And um, so you know, right, next week I'll turn. I managed to get up. My feet will not touch the floor, but maybe you're a top we can bring the little chairs if you want. <laughs> no, it's so I think everybody will be able to see us. It's so much more fun. Okay. On the big stools. Make it. There we are. Right. So, good morning, I don't know. <laughs> are you okay? Yeah. Okay, so you need the book. I need the book. Yes, so this is the book. Um, and what I wanted to know is, um, Appalachian Fall is such a fascinating concept that the U.S. election, not just the U.S. election, but this, this whole notion of, of, of poverty and power and the way in which um, people and forces can be manipulated towards power, um, trauma, there's, there's a whole range of things mm. that you touch on in the book. So I'm really curious as to whether you began the book with this notion of what you were going to write about and then began writing poems to flesh it out or whether you were starting to find your poems organically forming into a kind of theme. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, I... Oh, there's a bit of both, I think. I can actually try and remember. Um, I think it was... Um, I think it was initially um, that one had to... Uh, the next step on from Trump's election was to write about Trump and um, I think the most attractive poetic um, viewpoint on, 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 on that is actually to look at the electorate and Trump's electorate is actually a lot more attractive than, than Trump is and, um, and uh, particularly that, that area, the behind um, vast Appalachian electorate area and um, and the uh, areas of poverty in America and the world as well. Um, so, and the the intense lyricism of that, which again feeds into how you can see the attraction of Trump, you can see the, the lyricism of Trump in any sense to all those people, or mm. um, the power and the um, negative and positive aspects. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the interesting dynamics I felt in this book was this notion of political rhetoric mm. versus the poetic, which, mm. you know, mm. political rhetoric often is very, very simplified. Mm. It's almost mm. language stripped mm. down to, um, to the soundbite, right, mm. to the, mm. it's, its most basic level, whereas, mm. you know, poetry is, is the opposite. It's, it's language at its most, you know, multiple, <laughs> almost complex. Um, is that something that, that was playing on your mind when you were working on this? How can I get into something that's, a, that's real? Yes, yeah, you, you needed to, um, you, as I said, you needed to work on those areas where, where that's possible, where the anti-rhetoric, if you want to call it that, is possible, in, in the, um, uh, uh, which is by pushing it out and, you know, looking we'll at the spirituality of the, of the situation um, and the uh, extreme, the desperate emotions involved. And uh, the authenticity of those areas and the needs. Um, and also to try to find those in Trump as well, points of what, what potential is there. Yes. Well, I think um, I, I read an article, I think it was only a couple of days ago, um, about how the people in, in Appalachia mm. were feeling manipulated um, yeah. and disenfranchised, not yeah. just in terms of their voting decisions, but in terms of mm. now, mm. how people are pointing a finger going, you know, this, yes. this is because these, you know, unthinking robots were actually manipulated into yes. making these choices. Mm. And I guess in some way in your work you give them a voice. Yes. You, you yeah. provide a voice mm. Um, mm. where there was only rhetoric perhaps before. Yes. Well, I, again, it wouldn't be... Um, I'm not sure. Um, it might be hard to condescend to see that it's being manipulated, I think. Mm. Um, I think that was also part of the yes, article. That, you yes. know, the people just say, you know, mm. we're, we're easy target. Mm. Yeah. But we're all individuals. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think they wanted certain things that Trump is doing. And Trump is doing certain things. They wanted his right-wing rhetoric because they like that. Mm. Um, but they also wanted his particular... Um, 
rather complex politics and uh, non-intervention. You know, there are secret wars. I mean, the, the extraordinary thing about Trump for me is that he stood up to the Bush family and said, I it was an, an enormous mistake. It should never have happened. Yeah. And this is, this is axiomatic. And he was able to say that in, in large Republican groups and get enormous support because they know that that's true. You know, you know the terrible thing that they've done is his own. And, um, and uh, um, Appalachia knows that, of course, because they, they lost their children, their children you know, taken and ridiculed and shot and mm. corrupted by the, those wars. Mm. You know? And they had to do it for money. Mm. You know? and, um, and Trump is saying, look, I'm not, uh, I'm not something you're frightened of, I'm, I'm not left wing, I'm not you know, going to take anything not away from you. <laughs> I'm intellectual, I'm not going to take anything away from you, but I'm not going to do this to your children anymore. Can, can, can you read Winrock? I think that might be I a good do that. example. Mm. Pages are not so. Is it 73? 73. Windrock. Trump always walks uncertain, braced for Windrock. Windrock is good for plants, doubles their grip in the earth, unless they blow away or their soil melts, unless the wind dries out their sap like fire. Nietzsche had much to answer for, including the thought that anything that makes one strong that doesn't kill one. One that keeps thinking of causes calm about Catherine of Aragon. Oh, the Queen of Castile has a daughter, torn out by the roots, her lovely breast in a stone-cold chest under the farmer's boots. Weendrop seesaws, doesn't tear, but if one is in power, how much can one bear of the ruthless velocity in air, I wonder? Weendrop lines a face with its small contradictions, deeper forever until the ripples bleed, until the feet tilt heart-sick on the ground. So the powerful hold on, like damp sheets on a clothesline. Now for nothing I recall the feel of sheets and their grasping, groping, wind rock roaring damp in the backyard on the face of the entangled child in the dancing. The wind smells like skin in drying cotton, carries with it the strength of everything it touches to embrace, brace and blend into a finish. Trump's erratic pace Wind rocked, staggers, stubborn with its hunching, at growth and gust in air, and no escape. Mm. That's great. Beautiful. Mm. I, I feel like this poem and many of the poems in the book, they, they seem to sit on this kind of um, interface mm -hmm. between the anatomical, political, mm -hmm. and the personal. But you know, the, mm. there's this voice that's almost intimate, mm. and yet there's also this massive force, mm. and there's a really interesting kind of tension between those two mm. things. Mm. 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 I think what I think that was first struck me about this. I think that this man did not want to be elected, did not expect to be elected. Um, obviously, believed the polls, or he didn't believe the polls. You know. And, and he had an election strategy, which he did not think was going to work, but he had a strategy because you have to have a strategy. And it worked. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they had the numbers, they had the um, Rust Belt numbers, and it worked. Um, in my last question, right before this, the end of that, is, is Trump is actually on the phone to the hero, George Jeffries, who has some magic line of communication with all American presidents. And um, and uh, telling him I don't know what to do. <laughs> I I don't know why I've won. I don't know why they wanted me to win. I didn't expect to win. And I don't know what to do. And um, I think that's not so far from the truth, actually. Um, and you have that helplessness. Um, I think you have men very influenced by the elements. You know, mm -hmm. they're really at the mercy of strong forces, constantly about Trump. 
Mm. And he's constantly trying to, to make, he's, he, he does what he knows he has to do for the electorate's electorate. He makes his rightly statements. Oh. And then, then he waits to be knocked down. He waits for them to be contradicted. He waits so he won't have to do that. But he can say, I've tried to do it. Mm. One of the things that you do in the book that's really fascinating to me, um, particularly as a hybrid human being, um, is the way you slide so smoothly between American politics and Australian mm. politics. So um, many of the poems, a lot of the poems are about, you know, obviously mm. the American political election, but Turnbull gets a mention, um, mm. and there are lots of um, Australian political mm. um, poems that are both informed by the overall theme of the book and also sort of stand on their own. Yeah. Yes, well, there is, of course, a deep interlink always between Politics and sort of, you know, successful Australian politics. Despite um, Trump not being particularly nice to Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Trump would be, again, not being particularly interventionist. Trump, Trump would be um, one of the least interested in Australia, one of the least. Um, um, uh, interesting. I suppose that the, the real thing is, that is, is the connection with China, time gap in the connection with China. They want to, um, uh, because you had that huge conflict between Democrats and Republicans, where uh, uh, the Democrats wanted to confront China and the Republicans were, the Kissinger Republicans wanted, were pro Chinese. And of course, in Australian terms, that's the pro Chinese section is, is um, uh, Kevin Rudd. No, so Kevin Rudd and the American Republican Party have an exit. And, um, uh, but the, and I suppose by some token, the Labour Party, Gillard and the, um, and the Democrats, who's, uh, Gillard being quite a warlike politician, you know, like, like Clinton, uh, both of them. Uh, uh, so even, even within the Australian Labour Party, you've got a, a, a split between, um, an affinity with the American Republicans and American Democrats. And the, Ameri- the American politicians themselves, of course, exploit that, use that, because it's uh, um, they're concerned about China. Mm. So there's all these interesting binaries, mm. you know, hard and soft, mm. that seem to almost contradict themselves. Mm. Um, you know, you've got the, I guess... Well, this is where the poetry comes in. Yes. And so I, I mm. guess that's that you're able to deal with that mm. in poetry in a much more, I guess, mm. a much more holistic way mm. than if you were writing political yeah. commentary. Yeah. I, is there well, a part of that? Poetry contains its own poetry. It's its poetry, so it's an action. action. Mm. And yet, if that, you don't see it too often. Mm. In poetry or poetry? Well, no, I, 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 well, you don't see too many poets, I think, um, writing poems that very directly address um, political situations uh, in the way in which this one has, for example, you, thematically. You, you do, but um, I, there's a vast timidity, I think, and, and they have to, they're frightened they'll be seen to have the wrong attitude. And which, whichever way that goes, whether it's right-wing, if they're into the right-wing quadrants, whether whether it's um, left-wing, if the audience is left-wing, overland wing, uh, and uh, it's, it's very inhibitive. So I think Australian political party has a real turn of inhibition. It's very predictable. You, you won't get somebody contradicting what they think uh, would be the, their correct position, um, which again is um, uh, where I like to think my positioning is very good um, because I I I I can I I, I try to work with this from an equal position, so I don't look down on them contemptuously. And I don't look up to them reverentially either. Um, so, so basically, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to get a position, um, which is, I suppose, an empathetic position. Yes. And I suppose you get to use in poetry, which you probably wouldn't in, in political commentary, mm. um, you get to use the persona. Yes. Which is a very mm. powerful tool. Yes. So, yes. you know, you can, mm. you can bring in characters yes. that are no longer alive, That's for right. example, mm. or uh, characters that are known. Mm. Do you feel you're kind of recreating them almost as new characters, though? For example, when you bring in Eleanor Roosevelt, for mm. example. Um, no, interesting question. Um, no, I, I, I feel I'm 
finding a lot of natural inhibitions in myself about seeing a historical figure as somehow one-dimensional and I feel I'm fighting for the uh, third dimension. I feel I'm fighting for the um, in myself to overcome um, any inhibitions I might have about historical accuracy and um, go for the real historical accuracy which is where the doubts and the emotions and the passions are. And, and, um, and it's, it's, a, it's a, I think again that equal position helps, the empathising helps. Um, but no, I don't, I don't, um, um, I don't think they're new characters. I think they're the person and I think I'm doing my level best to come at something in that person that I can see and I can do in that Almost like a channeling, so yeah. giving a voice to some possibly, aspect of themselves. Possibly themself. channeling, yeah. Okay, and interesting. Type of channeling, yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to ask you to read another poem. Mm -hmm. I love to hear your poems. And this one, um, this I think, kind of picks up on some of the things we've been talking about. Um, also, uh, the, again, something that you do quite um, interestingly in the book, which is to slide between, I guess, this poetic voice, but also almost breaking that third wall with the reader, mm -hmm. in which you kind of address a real-life situation. Mm -hmm. So this is posing a political threat. This one, too, is a little meta-poetic, because I think you look at you know, the nature of poetry and what poetry can do. Publishing my work, much to my um, sort of arousing my curiosity, by the way, by that one. Um, and uh, I asked whether the reason for political, and I was got to take this very indignant response um, no, no, it's not political because you don't pose a political threat. And <coughs> a political threat to what? I don't know if I had posed one. Um, but anyway, that was that was uh, that was the response, and I thought that's rather good because if I do I pose political threat, and um, it's a fascinating question. I mean, oh it's almost yes. the ordinance, you know, does poetry yes, make nothing yeah. happen? Yes, that's that's mm. how this is the Posing a political threat. It seems a topic that would suitably fit the discussion of poverty and power. That once I asked publishers if they had tried to stop my work because of politics. And they said no, of course, and that I was deluded if I thought my work posed a political threat. I am me and tempted to joke if that joke is close to despair and lives like a ghost in the fisted heart. But obviously they didn't mean they might want it more threatening. Could it perhaps be they wanted me less deluded? But when then have I ever thought my work would alarm authority ever? But now I remember there is the power of the apolitical which cuckoos out all others. There are forever powers from the political obvious, like the child from church asked what did the vicar talk about? Sin. What did he say about it? He was against it. Um, that will certainly well cover more questions of cruelty and rape. That will certainly well cover m most questions of cruelty and race. To complicate, there are reasons of sensible taste or cash to prove political threat irrelevant to topic. Indeed, the best influence I remember wielding is when a late Australian Democrats leader told me that my poem about her sustained her through deep depression after she had opposed the first American Gulf War. Some friend of hers sent it to her. I never met her. On the phone later, she said she'd held on to the poem's words about resurrection. Since she's dead and I'll live anyway, old and explicit, I will tell you about some more she told that when she gave a speech against that war at the National Press Club, straight after, someone phoned in death threats and the police made a cordon suddenly around her. She was so afraid that she retreated to the toilets where a period started from terror, but was still proud of her action. It's when one is most afraid that one is most a woman, but maybe that becomes the time of greatest resurrection. If I have never posed a threat to anyone in power, Dear great good spirit of the universe, give me this and find the lady. 
Let my work be as posed as real insurrection. Let my threat be in position, not diction, and equality in stature with the weakness I enshroud. One makes a threat from below or above, not looking in the eyes. One could look in the eyes from where I stood. Sometimes the eye had power, but it stored its waiting message on the blood. That was actually the, the Democratic leader, Janet Pannell, who uh, told me that she told me that on the phone. Amazing. So, one of the things that that, that poem picks up on, which I just want to mention, because I mean, a, a lot of the poems are quite intense, a lot of them are political, mm-hmm. but very subtly and woven throughout the entire book is this, and, and that poem really has it. Making somebody chuckle. This is sense of humor. Mm. This sense of um, real kind of um, wry humor that runs mm. almost like a thread through the book. Do you see that almost as well as a almost a political power? Um, it's an equalizer, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Um, it's not. Uh, it's not satirical humor. Um, it's the same humor you think the characters not themselves might might have in that situation. Mm. Um, it's the same character the reader would have empathising with uh, him, the reader would have empathising with that character. And it's very, it's, it's, um, I, I don't want satire, I don't write satire, I, I regard it as a very conservative form of satire. And um, I, I, I think it, it's, um, Humour, in, in if, it, if it's good humour, if it's if it's blending two disparate elements that haven't been blended before, um, it is uh, which Kirsten said, of course, was the act of creation. Um, then it's innovative. Mm. It's not conservative. Um, and I think sort of you suddenly realise something's new, something's funny. You know, this oh yes, I hadn't thought that before. You know, I hadn't seen that connection. And it's in, and and something about humour. Um, does that something that human does that, and also it's a it's a link with the reader because it's a it's a new experience for me when I'm doing it, a new experience for the reader hopefully when they're reading it, mm-hmm. and um, and of course for the characters it's a new experience. They realise things. My characters are constantly realising things. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean I even find it quite funny um, the, the little play on words like where you've got Angela Lansbury. And then, the, you know, the whole murder mm. she wrote thing, like mm. her character actually mm. comes in and mm. um, it's, quite, it's sort of mm. quite funny to think about the different layers mm. of reality. Mm. Uh, I, that is part of the characterisation too because I feel those, if it's, it's not cunning again, it's a bit, not quite what I do. Um, it's not distancing. It's no, like, no, yeah. yes, it, it's involving um, and it's, um, it happens to the characters. Right. I mean, the when when I, if I'm doing something humorous, if I'm doing a word play, that word play is part of the characterisation. It's not mm-hmm. me commenting out on the characters from us. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it's totally the characters. Yeah. 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 And it will differ from character to character. Mm-hmm. The nature of the humour and the difference from each to each character. Um, but Hillary Clinton's got a totally different sense of humour to Ellen Roosevelt when we're talking. So it's not your sense of humour. Uh, well, it is mine, I suppose, in a sense. I suppose it has to be, but but it's it's um in in when I'm experiencing the poem, it's not. Yeah. Mm. I, I stand with your work that the sense of humour is actually um it's it's like the the Keynesian idea of money. Money is a link for, uh, between the past yeah, yeah, and the present and yeah. the present and yeah. the future. Yeah, and yeah, humor in your work, I think, does the same, has the same sort of function. Yeah, and yeah, links something yeah. that's, it literally links past experience to present to some future. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, it's temporal. It's a temporal yeah, bridge. Yeah, mm. that's an interesting way of looking mm. at it. Mm. This notion, mm. and, and the, since you've raised temporal bridge, you know, I think a lot of the work um, tries to form that kind of temporal bridge mm. as well when you bring in these characters, um, like Eleanor Roosevelt or. Mm. His grandfather, who's mm. these characters are um, Jimmy Carter, um, June Carter, Cash. I didn't realize actually that there was a link between those. You know, yeah, um, yeah, that's. Uh, but no, it's um, it's the Carter family. The Carter family, right? Yeah. Yes. And um, uh, Mother Mabel is the mother of June Carter Cash. Yes. Ah, uh, but it's uh, it's actually uh, the the lady who materializes it. The um, 
uh, inauguration is um, um, uh, the uh, sister of Mabel, mm. the, um, um, uh, Catherine, can you remember what her name is? Sarah. Sarah. That's right, Sarah. 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 Even bringing in these kind of ghosts into the work creates a kind of temporal bridge between mm. what might have happened in the past, mm. what's happening right now, mm. what might have even happened, you know, in mm. what's happened in the US last year, but what's even happening mm. right now in Australia, what might mm. have happened last week. There's a kind mm. of everything seems kind of interconnected in a yes. way. Yeah. And maybe that's what poetry can do. Mm. You know, it's best mm. it can actually um, flatten time mm. and mm. transcend it in a way. Mm. Well, a certain, a certain intense prose, a certain intense lyrical prose can do that too. Mm. Um, I'm, um, I can't say writing online for Catherine for. Um, uh, I, I write novels for Catherine online for her site to get people to come to the site. <laughs> and I, I think with what she's got to a point now where actually her medieval French translations get as many uh, hits as my, my novels, so that must, <laughs> that must be going pretty well. Um, but, um, um, yeah, what was that? Tem- time. Temporary time. Time. Yeah. And um, uh, one, one of the things is I, uh, what you do find is this, without being exploited or using things, you find out that current events just feed effortlessly into what you're doing when you do that. Um, it's all part of it. It's like at a certain point something happens, and it's as if you knew it was going to happen. And because um, uh, this class, uh, current novel, my Catherine, like the last place chapter has got about um, uh, Turnbull uh, wanting to turn Australia into a large arms exporter. Um, and um, <laughs> yeah, and it um, and it um, uh, and it fits in completely with the plot, uh, which I already had. So yeah, and uh, so I, I put that in. Yes, and oh yes, of course, and part, that's partly illustrated by Turnbull so wanting to do this, and this is you know. And the time bridge. Well, the time bridge. The, t- the, the temporal bridge. The temporal bridge. The bridge. Yeah. We're very topical. I think we had half an hour after <laughs> we said it. We had it out in the northern. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question about that. That'll be my last question, I think, and I might get you to read one more poem, mm-hmm. and then we can um, just open up the floor to everyone mm-hmm. and, and do some angling, yeah. cheese and wine. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask you because Kamer Press is new, mm-hmm. and you know you've, you've, you're one of the giants of Australian poetry. Mm-hmm. 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 The giants of Australian poetry. Yes, right. You're one of the giants of Australian poetry, and you know you've got a long history of publishing with big, well-known poetry houses like mm-hmm. Yolanda, mm-hmm. Um, and now you're working with with Kamer, and obviously mm-hmm. you know you've got a very close, intimate relationship. I'm just wondering if the, the ability that you've been talking about of not having to, I guess, be dictated to or mm. having to wait for a year. I mean, I've been published by a traditional house. I know how long it takes. Mm. And even to be edited. In, and it, it, there's almost a power imbalance when you're being published by a big house mm. in which you're kind of subservient to their marketing vision. Mm-hmm. And so with that gone, do you find that being able to work in, almost instantly particularly mm. with online publishing, has mm. that changed almost the way in which you perceive your writing and what well, you're planning to well, envision? I, I've always done this, but what, it, what it, this is allowing me to do is do what I've always done and do a lot more of it and mm. relax. I can relax and do this. I don't have to, you know, I'm not, there's no tonsils about when or what or, And uh, Catherine's the best editor ever. She explains exactly what I want and... and uh, um, and she can say exactly if something's not working, she can come in two seconds, and it's just she's very quick and specific. Um, like the perfect editing relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't. Um, I this 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 has happened by a fortunate fortunate accident. It did not happen by choice. Mm. Um, I I didn't leave Jeremondo because I wanted to. I I left to him. I really did not want to leave Jeremondo, and I tried to stop him. But I don't know. Um, Whatever, whatever policy, whatever decision they made, I really don't know, but I couldn't stand it ever been written. Mm. Um, Is that your last publisher? That's my last publisher. Yeah. yeah. And um, um, so, uh, and I had six books with them, and won them several prizes. Mm. And um, including just this year. Yep. So that's just 
Yeah. Was it Victorian Premier? I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. I did. I should But um, and um, so um, Catherine stepped into the breach. I mean, I certainly didn't sort of um, have any big fight with her mother as I'm leaving, and mm. I'm going to, you know, my daughter's going to punch me from now on. It's just, it's, uh, maybe that's what should have happened, but it didn't. Um, but um, you know, now I am with Catherine. It's, it's, um, it's, it was obviously meant to happen. Mm. Yes, I suppose it was meant to happen. If it's, I mean, even you know, I'm out in the wilderness, and the first one was terrified. What am I going to do? You know, where I'm going to find another publisher for what I do? You know? And uh, well, yeah, like about six inches away, sort of. You know, <laughs> <laughs> does anybody know what I'm going to do? <laughs> 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 my, my favorite line. One of my favourite lines in poetry is Wallace Stevens about Love Jar Tennessee. Yeah. And that because this jar is there, everything changes around it just because yes. of the existence of that jar. And that is what it would desperately like, like to be. Like to be. Yeah, came out to be. Yeah, the yeah. little jar and the Tennessee that changes the entire environment around it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're getting that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a year later, you're doing pretty well. Well, and I guess that's one of the joys of being a poet too, mm. is that you know, even even as you are in the midst of pain, mm. your mind is probably thinking, "How can I use this?" Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I, yeah, I think I think one of my previous publishers is in mortal terror because I might promise him I won't uh, use him as a character in my poems. <laughs> well, I think I've had a few uh, appearances in that. Yeah, I didn't say who it was. Oh, well, uh, I think there was one in which um, it was a different character with the same last name. Oh, yes. Oh, this is his brother. I was his brother. Yeah, yeah, I was about yeah. his brother this big. His brother's the uh, <laughs> of the assistant um, um, director of the Bookings Institute or something. Oh, okay. That means he's for that. I reckon publishers are big. Watch out, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> um, one more poem, and then yeah. I think we can open the floor. So I was thinking maybe um, the mystery, because also it's another oh, funny yeah, one, yeah, an interesting that. one. Too. That's this is which and and yeah. so many layers in that. I, I just love the um, the yeah. relationships. historical figure who you feel has been unjustly neglected. <laughs> the mystery. Jessica and Malcolm were requested by Joan Wentz. George Lansbury woke up on Lady Martin's Beach. Malcolm Turnbull sat reading, solid and life-worn like George himself, quietly next to two ladies, both of whom seemed now to be George's granddaughter, Angela except that one wore silk and looked filmy and beachy, the other wore a suit and sat on a blanket typing, but never losing track of something in the bushes. The silky one with the soft sun-raised arm raising Malcolm. Malcolm helped her up as if expert in art lifting, although she was his third cousin and the other woman fiction. Um, the other one said, crisply to George, I'm Jessica Fletcher, but with a strong, bright welcome, went on writing. If it was this one, thought George, he might at last give them all a verdict, but Malcolm seemed to need more than that, an urgent. Angela said, please don't expect her to interact. She isn't real, I made her. The novel that she writes is called Appalachian Fall, A Season for Death, and is meant to show how American poverty creates the last advent of apocalyptic power, in this case murder. I know because I wrote it. Uh, there is no such novel, the Prime Minister laughed, but the thesis sounds like something that my mother might in her American phase have written. George wasn't confused by their banter. He knew his granddaughter supported Labour, but the mystery was Malcolm. Malcolm, who had tried to budget down welfare, however could hind Lansbury blood drumming through the pitying heart around her. Angela thought of Ronald Bly's essay on her grandfather. How it said that, in sum, socialism was just a function of tidiness, but how his had represented the antithesis of that. 
removed park fences, let the public in, tried to oppose the Second World War until he accepted it, for want of a better method, always plagued the Home Office with exceptions, every case seeking refuge exceptional, lies observing parenthetical that God knows how many lives the old man saved. As she typed, Angela the novelist wrote death. Malcolm sat down beside her, sat down beside. He said it would be easy to deny the mystery, and I tend to do that as a policy, so that even if I horribly inherit a plan to foist a couple of awful islandfuls of dispossessed onto the Appalachians and the Rust Belt, I chiefly convince the President his, supply, his surprise isn't normal. There was good PR in that. The moving fingers didn't slow their pace. He thought of the old poem he'd learned at school. Not all your tears wash out a word of it. She said, there are assassins in the bushes and a race with machetes is what simple survival seems simply to need where you want to work these days. The other Angela seated herself on the sand, held out her creamy arms, and George reclined like a Victorian picnic with the ladies. The pretty beach was such a nun-embroidered handkerchief, Malcolm thought, long one, short one, superlative with lace. I don't own the beach, he admitted, just the view. And if they boat load or bush load or both of men with long knives foaming from the dark, I cannot reach my home in time to transform and defend it. Since, unlike you, Angela, I have no other forms. To turn into a landscape at last is not open to me. Perhaps that was your ending? The light from the priceless harbour glittered on the keys. If that was the end, she wasn't swallowing it. Her hands continued, neat, plump, white, and busily in concert with her brain. The woman's hair was blonde, the hair of both men grey. He listened for the motor's song and packed his book away. So, I think it's almost an anthemic, that poem, in terms of the way it kind of sums up so many of the different things that happened through the book. Would you, would you like to ask any questions before we mingle? Can I just ask, like, how long would it take for you to write that? Oh, look, I'm terrible. You're quick? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Catherine has a saying now. Now I'm actually working for Catherine's question. <laughs> she has a saying sort of, no, you know. The more grueling, the more grueling. The more grueling, the more grueling, yeah. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, she, she's hard. She's hard. Um, but, um, no, I, I, I'm always very quick, and I, I, I hardly ever really write. snowballed and went one way or another mm. not according to the numbers just according to this other system I, ju I yeah. just couldn't 
Um, I couldn't see there, there how it was a fair system. There are things to be said for it because of the results it gets. Um, they, they stick with it because they, they, um, it's to do with not just the popular vote across the board, but it's to do with um, uh, each state has a certain amount of electoral contracts. And it's what you get in it. It's a, it's, it's a state by state. Americans uh, sort of do you think it's a fair? I'm also Australian. Mm. I can swap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they're they're, um, they're extremely state conscious, um, possibly because of the um, uh, a conversation with the civil law or something. But they are they are extremely uh, state conscious, and this gives the power to individual states that isn't just to the popular vote. Mm. Um, Seemed to round up or something. She said it would round up or round down, and then mm. so much so that. The actual yeah. amount of votes was kind of tra- changed, you know. Yeah. I just, I just couldn't see how it, it, it's it Well, it's electoral college. But we, we have similar things in our elections all the time. I mean, first past the post is a very unusual voting system. Most countries don't have that. They always have some break on it, like our Senate. It's, it's, it's more like our Senate elections. Yes. Yeah. It's more like it, and this, this is what they want because they want they actually. Um, the reason you get for it is they don't want a demagogue. Mm. The reason you get for it is that they're frightened that they produce demagogues on a regular basis, and they're, they're frightened that they're, um, they're fr- or, or you know bought votes or something. Um, it is actually to counteract the Appalachian people. Mm. Um, and, s- and see, also there was the the talk that because they had it, they don't do like a Saturday, you know, vote. They just don't mm. do it. It's got to be on a Tuesday, mm. and it's got to be in the middle of the day. When mm. a lot of poorer people can't mm. actually take a day off work, mm. so you thereby nicely eliminate them from the voting because they can't vote. Mm. And and I thought well, this is not fair either. They mm. can't get to the mm. the polls too. Um, and that mm. didn't seem, from what I the saw, first you stay open for a long time. Mm. But I, do, I heard they that do, they had they to try and balance that. Sometimes. Yeah, but the way I read it, mm. it's like they didn't really care that they couldn't actually vote. Let's stick to the Tuesday during the day, not mm. worry about making it accessible to mm. everybody in America to vote. Mm. Um, and they weren't going to budge from their Tuesday voting. And then people just, well, we can't vote. Mm. You know, and I thought, that's not fair. You know, that's not democratic. Yeah. <laughs> not allowing everybody the chance to have their say, you know what I mean? Mm. But they, but I got the opinion that, that that wasn't a problem with Americans. That they oh, it's see. a hugely cavalier system. Sorry, but it isn't compulsory. See, this is this yeah. is again, it's not compulsory. So, it but it's also also not catering for people mm. that do want to vote mm. by not making it accessible. I'm sure you can also find lots of other things that aren't fair mm-hmm. here in the US. Oh yeah, I'm like, mm. oh yeah, I, exactly. But I mean, um, just I just thought struck that mm. as the. Because I read that people were saying they couldn't vote because they couldn't get time off work. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, they should be allowed to. Mm. And why stick to a day that's a working day? There's also, it's, I mean, again, this is, these are some of the interesting things, I think, that, um, that Jennifer plays with in the book, this mm. idea of, you know, how you manipulate power. Yes. Or how you use whatever system is in place. Exactly, to rule people to, like that out. To, or just to play those. I mean, you know, there are people in, in government who are you know, pretty clearly about how to use the political structures that are in place in order to get outcomes. That's, that, that's what they do. So. Do you think the average American was really appalled by Trump getting in? I don't know that no. you can talk about the average American. I, I think everybody on my Facebook feed was, but that's I'll say it's mine. But I don't know that that's an average amount of New Yorkers. No, so I, I think no. I think I think they um, I, I think they were quite related in certain quarters that it wasn't so predictable as it was supposed to be. Yeah. 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 I, I know my boss who was American at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were on a, a flight to Melbourne, and I was meeting her there. And mm-hmm. uh, what did she? She voted Trump, and. Um, and I was shocked because I just mm. expected that nobody did, mm. and I didn't expect him to win. And mm. we had a blackout on the plane, and then we got to Melbourne, and he was in. Mm. And and I was like, you know, we were all like, oh my god, how could this have happened? Blah blah. blah. And she was like, I voted for him. Oh, that's that's what I mean. You've got a mosquito on the <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't. I was surprised when I had a 
calm conversation mm. with her about the fact that she was an intelligent woman who had reasons. Yes. Mm. I didn't agree with her reasons, but she had reasons. And, and they were considered mm. reasons, and they, mm, at no point did she mention, she talked about things like, mm. you know, non-interventionists, mm. and at no point did she talk about, you know, mm. racism mm. Or, or any of the issues that I thought were important. Like, they, they were not mm. of any relevance. That's in what her I thought. found. I mean, so it wasn't what she was looking at. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And there was huge between trauma as well, you know, alcohol, mm. um, just as much as positive over it. Mm. And um, it, 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 it burst, and it, the fact that he opposed Iraq, the fact that he, that he stood up against um, uh, the bushes and said, I opposed Iraq, and it was a terrible mistake. And, you know, he said, uh, you know. So you think uh, that was a factor? Oh, absolutely. But what about his dreadful behaviour mimicking that disabled journalist? I mean, that would be, if I was an American, that would be in the end for me. I wouldn't have voted at all. I this, just thought, I'm not. This is manners. This is manners. And they don't vote for good manners. This is, they don't. It, it's bad. Well, some manners. people do. Obviously, some, mm. pe some people, for some people, that, mm. that was it. Mm. That was but it. They but just, often that's the end. it's a very just diverse, very large population. Mm. And it, it's very stratified. And so people don't so necessarily talk to each other, so... So they didn't think that that was that they thought that was okay for you to do that. They, no. no, but they wouldn't have thought it was important. <gasps> See, I I mean mm. you know again that was massive, and that was a British I don't know who it was. Yeah. But he again tweeted like and that, yeah, I mean, I, I, this is the end I for me. I don't remotely think that, that anyone in Appalachia voted for Trump because I think he's a nice person. I really, you know, I, I think they voted, I think they voted peculiarly, I think they did what all the academics say people should do, and I think they voted for policy. They what? I think they voted policy. for policy. Mm -hmm. I don't think they voted for personality, I don't think they like his personality at all. Um, if they think he's got one, she hasn't done. But, they, but, they, that, yeah. but, you know, I think they, they, they voted for policy. Not to the same extent. We don't, do we? Not, we do, but not to the same extent. No. Mm -hmm. so. No. Oh, I'm going to end it there. Yeah. Um, but mingle.